Merry Christmas. I have looked forward to getting to this point um, for the last four weeks. I, if you've been with us at all, um, you know we've been going through Advent, and, and I love Advent because all Advent means is this idea of coming. I mean, literally, that's what the word means, it's coming. It's this expectation. Um, and I don't know if you have kids or you remember being a kid, just, again, that expectation that tomorrow's Christmas. I mean, if I was still, like, eight years old, I would be wired from now until about, like, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And then after we opened gifts, I'd crash and be dead for a day and stuff. But I'd be so excited and so expectant of it and, and so ready for it. And, and somehow we lose that. I just, I don't understand how we lose it. It's so, everything's so beautiful. Everything's all bright and sparkly. And, and everything should point to one fact and one fact only, that God is with us. I mean, that's what Christmas means. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. The creator of everything became one of us and, and walked among us and lived among us and was like us and, and all that stuff. And so that's kind of the journey we've gone on. And, and as always, I, I think um, familiarity sometimes breeds a little bit of just kind of, huh, okay. Because I know we've all heard the stories before. I, I think we've heard about the shepherds. And we've heard all about these things. But I, tonight, God just kind of laid on my heart like a week or two ago just this idea that there's another perspective that we don't often look at. And that's what I want to do tonight. I, I want us to kind of go and dive back into this journey. But I want us to get in a different perspective. Because the idea that God is with us is basically God is with us is Jesus God in flesh, fully human, fully, fully God, came and lived among us. And that's what we're celebrating. That's what we're remembering tonight. And we're looking forward to, <coughs> excuse me, in the future as he's returned. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have Bibles, we have them spread out all over the place. You can grab one. Um, if you like that Bible, put your name in it, keep it. Um, um, you can take it home with you. If you'd rather use an electronic device, we have our own Wi-Fi here. It says GBC Guest. All you have to do is type in Find More in lower caps and everything. But tonight, I want us to look at kind of a different perspective from a different view of what I don't know if I've ever heard this perspective before preached and everything. Probably has, but I don't, I don't remember it ever being preached. And so tonight, that, that's really what I want to dive in with and, and be a part of tonight. But um, as always, if you don't know me, um, I can tell you without a shadow of doubt that I believe these are the only words that matter tonight. <coughs> these are the only words that make a difference. My words mean absolutely nothing. My ideas mean absolutely nothing. It's these words that make it. It's only because of these words that I'm allowed to get up here and preach Sunday after Sunday. It's the only reason we can be a church. And so out of acknowledgement of that and out of respect for that, I don't know what your tradition is, but for ours, I would just ask if you would stand with me as we read these words in Philippians chapter 2 starting at verse 6 it says who speaking of Christ who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity and when he had come as a man he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Can you pray with me? 
God, I just thank you for this evening. I thank you for these families that chose to take an hour out of their schedule, out of their time, just to sit, to, to be still, to remember. Uh, there's so many things going on in our world today and in each of our lives. There's so many crazy things, and there's probably stuff that's just list in our head that going through that we still need to get done before the night's over. Lord, I would just ask right now that you would just calm our hearts, that you would calm our minds. And for the next few moments, would you pull back the curtain and just remind us of who you are, why you came, and what makes this season so amazing. God, may these be your words and not mine tonight. Would you give us ears to hear, give us hearts to respond. And would you do something miraculous today in each of our hearts? May revival begin. May awakening begin. But God, may you get all the glory and all the credit. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, I, I want to do a different perspective on, on, on the Christmas story. One, one that I, I've never done before and just has been intriguing me the last couple of weeks and, and everything. But I also want to kind of review because the whole idea, again, of Advent, it's the idea of coming. That God is with us, that God came actually and invaded our, our world, that he put flesh on, that he lived, that he walked, and that he breathed, and he did everything. And because of that, there's this expectation. And so we have been working on that, and we've been heading towards that, and here we're kind of at the head of it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. In fact, back in Matthew chapter 1, that's, it's really what it says about Christ's birth. It says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. I don't think we fully comprehend that. I, I don't think we fully get that. I, I love how um, Eugene Peterson, a lot of times, where he, he'll take like First John and the word became flesh. And basically it's translated in the Greek when it talks about Christ coming is that he pitched his tent among us, that he became just like us, that the creator, the one that breathed life, that said stars and there were stars and galaxies and there were galaxies became just like you and me. I can't begin to understand or fully experience the fullness of all that means, but I, I know that it happened because that's what that's what marks this time of year. That's what marks this whole holiday and everything. No matter what anybody does, if they put Xmas, don't get offended because that's just a Greek letter for Christ. You know? It's still Christmas. If they say happy holidays, why is it happy? Because Jesus came, because God is with us. That's the only reason. So I don't understand us getting all upset when like I, he didn't say Merry Christmas to me. He said happy holidays. I love it. When I work at Universal Studios. I tell people Merry Christmas. They're like, Happy Holidays. I'm like, I know it's happy because Jesus is here. <laughs> and they look at me and say, oh. <laughs> and they walk away. But I'm wearing a security outfit so they can't say anything. <laughs> so it's beautiful. But, but this whole idea of God with us is because he brought things that only he could bring. He brought stuff that only he could bring because God with us means that God brings with us brings hope. Us. The, the thing that we need most on this planet, the thing that we need to survive more than anything else is hope. 
And at the time when Jesus came, you have to understand the Jewish people were sitting there and they, they hadn't heard from God. They haven't had a word from God for over 400 years. They had all these prophets before. They had all these, these kings and these leaders and these, speak, these spokespeople and all these people that came and spoke. And then it got silent for 400 years. And in that 400 years, everybody that was anybody conquered them and put them down. And they were tired and they were beaten. And by the time Jesus shows up on the scene, it's Rome that is still, they're occupied. And they're put down and they're hoping one day, say, God promised that one day someone's going to come. And, and we find that hope in the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Remember the story? Old couple, much, much older than everyone around. He's a priest, all that stuff. And the angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John, and he's going to make the way, and he's going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. So if you're later in ages and you want a kid, it's not impossible. <laughs> Mamu? I don't know. But th that hope came, and it was the hope of a son. It wasn't only of a son, but that the promise was going to be fulfilled, that there was hope of redemption, that Messiah was coming. Messiah was on his way, and that everything would change, and, and his, as promised, it was coming through the birth of Jesus. And for the first time in so long, people felt hope once again in Israel. For so long. For such a hard world that we live in, we have a person that we can look at for hope. One that always keeps his promises. Even if it seems like it's so long, he kept his promise and he shows up and Messiah shows up. But it's, it's not only that. See, God with us, not, it's not only bringing hope, it also, when God is God with us, it brings love. Real love. Love that we can't experience outside of him. Love that we can't comprehend outside of him. I believe we can like people, we can kind of love people, but we cannot love unless we know the one who created love, the one who is love himself. Can you imagine what he left to come and be a part of us? How much love that took. In fact, if you want to know the greatest doctrinal statement, if you want to know why everything that God has ever done and ever said in all the Bible, if you want to know what it boils down to, it's very simple. For God so loved. And because of that, when Christ came, we were able to experience not just brotherly love, not just kind of familiar love, but agape love, unconditional, unwavering, all-powerful love. We are loved and we know love. That's what John found out in 1 John 4, 16. He says, for, for, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That verse later on goes on and says, we love because we were first loved. And so Christmas, as we have marched through Advent, that, that, that it brings hope and it brings, it brings love like we have never understood or could ever comprehend or ever deserve love comes. But it didn't stop there. It's not, just, it's not just the love. It's not just the hope. But it's also, it brings joy. It brings joy. Do you understand the difference between joy and happiness? A whole bunch of people are happy. 
until the circumstances change. But joy comes and it stands and it, and it fills us and it's unmovable and it's unchangeable and it's, it's all powerful. It's beautiful, this joy. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter what's going on with us. It's this joy. It's joy for all. It's, and it's uncontainable. When you really experience joy, when you experience Christ in your life, and you experience all that Christmas is and all that it means, it is a joy that you cannot keep inside. It's a joy that shows on your face and it shows in your actions and it just kind of bursts out of the seams. Anybody that can hold joy in is not a joyful person. I promise you. And, and we see that. We see it in Elizabeth and Mary. Remember Elizabeth? You know, she was told, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a son. All those years, the hope that she waited for, the barrenness, and just almost probably giving up, and then the joy that comes up. But it wasn't just this any normal joy, because what happens is Mary shows up and visits her. And Mary's pregnant with Jesus. And Mary shows up, and there's so much power, and everyone knows that this is Jesus, the Messiah is coming, and she's carrying Messiah, that Mary's own baby starts dancing around in her stomach. And then Mary breaks out in a song. Or, I'm sorry, Elizabeth breaks out in a song, then Mary breaks out in a song, then all her friends are singing, and everybody's going, because joy is contagious, and it spreads, and it goes, and it is inseparable. It's, it's unexplainable. Three letters. Joy. Amen. Because what this shows us is that joy is it's not based on our circumstances. It's not based on whether I got the right thing for Christmas or everyone's being nice or I got the right job or the right friends. Because joy isn't about a circumstance. Joy is based on a person. And that person's Jesus. That's that's the author. That's that's the the sustainer. That's the one that gives us joy. That's why we can sing joy to the world. That's why we can be joyous around Christmas time. Because it's about a person. It's not about twinkling lights or Christmas trees. It's not about family gatherings. It's about a person. And Jesus is that person. God with us brings hope and it brings love and it brings joy. And finally, it brings peace. A peace beyond understanding. A peace that we can't even comprehend. A peace that says no matter what's going on in the world or going on in my life, I know there's something bigger happening. I know there's a God that's in control and he has a plan. And it doesn't matter what happens because I can just have peace. The shalom, we talked about it this past Sunday, the shalom of God. And all shalom means is not just peace. It means a completeness, a wholeness. It means that no matter what's happening, I can't be shaken. I am calm because I have a peace in fact, isn't that what Jesus was called? The Prince of Peace? See, we have hope because we don't place our hope in circumstances. We place it in a person. We have love because we're loved by a person. We have joy because we base our joy on a person. But we have peace because peace is a person. And his name is Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the story of Advent. And, and what was really cool is all this was foretold. It was all promised. 
This is why the Bible says that hope doesn't disappoint. This is why it says we can know love and be loved and nobody, we can never be separated from the love of God, that we can have joy and unceasing joy, that we can have peace, all that, because it's a promise and God keeps his promise. If you don't believe me, look back in Isaiah chapter 9, hundreds and hundreds of years before, it says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom and establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. All those things are because Jesus showed up on Christmas Day. It's a promise and it was fulfilled and it will be fulfilled even further when he returns. But that's the story we know, isn't it? That's the story we've heard. We know about the shepherds, and we know about Elizabeth and, and, and Zechariah, and we know about Mary and Joseph and the wise men showing up and, and, and the little sheep and all that fun stuff that we put on it, too. We know all those stories, and, and we know all that, but I think we have lost perspective. I think they've become so commonplace for us that we've kind of lost the value of what the season means. I, I love that video because it's so true in my life that so often I undervalue this gift that Jesus is. I kind of go through and like, all right, I know I got to decorate, I got to clean the house, I got to do this. My wife is in North Carolina doing Christmas Eve with my daughter so they can drive home and drive in at five o'clock in the morning. I got to work tomorrow. I got all this stuff. And so there's just this list of stuff. I'm like, okay, let's just have Christmas Eve and we'll do it. I know, let's just, I mean, I'll just talk about shepherds and we, we get all that, and we undervalue because it becomes so commonplace to us. And so tonight, for the next few moments, I just want to take us through a different perspective. We've seen the shepherd's perspective. We've seen the religious people's perspective. We've seen the common people's perspective. But have you ever thought about what heaven's perspective was like when Jesus came down? Look back at me. Look back with me at Philippians 2. Again, verse 6 through 11, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do we understand what he left? Do we understand what Christ, God the Son, the eternal one? I mean, you want to just have like a brain kind of freeze for a moment. Think about this. Jesus was born about 2,000 years ago, but Christ, God the Son, has been eternal forever. What he stepped out and stepped into, because there's a couple of things I want you to see and I want you to understand. The first idea is that the king stepped down. He says, who existing in the form of God did not consider God equality with God something to be exploited, to be used, but instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of servant. He he let go of everything. He became, for the first time in all history, God became approachable. Think about that. 
all in the Old Testament before it was like, okay, stay at your distance and one priest can go into the Holy of Holies and we're going to put a bell because if he dies, we're dragging him out. We're not going in there and stuff. And if you look on the face of God, you're going to die. So bad that Moses, when God, he says, I just want to see your face. And God's like, you'll die. Here, you can see where I've been. And that made his face glow. But all of a sudden, the king himself came down. And he humbled himself. And he became approachable. The Bible says in New Testament, it says that we look at Christ, who is the physical expression of the invisible God. When we look at Jesus, we see God because he came down. He stepped down. It's like a king taking off his crown, taking off his robe to hang out with all the common people. That's exactly what he did. He, he, he stepped down. He was fully human. Do you understand that? Fully human, fully God. If you ask me how, to, how that happened, explain how it happened, I don't know. It says it. I believe it. That's good enough for me. If I could explain everything there is to know about God, then that is a very small God, and it's not worth our time. He was fully human. He was fully God. When it said that he humbled himself, he, he emptied himself. Not that he let go of any of his power. Not that he let go of any of his rights or anything. He just said, I'm not going to use them right now. I'm going to just kind of set them aside and I'm going to cover myself and so that other people can see. And so this God of ours came and put flesh on and he knew the pains and the hurts that you and I know. God knew hunger and cold because of Christmas. He knew heartbreak because he came among us. And so the king stepped down. But not only that, the Bible says that he poured himself out. Look at look at verse verse um, verse seven eight. He said instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That word empty. Again, it doesn't mean that he let go, but it's actually the Greek tells us it's like he poured himself out for you and I. That he looked down and he saw all that was happening and he saw that we had had the law and we had had prophets and we had had kings and we had and we still weren't getting it right and we weren't anywhere closer to him than we were before. And he said, now I step into the picture. I'm going to pour myself out and, and I'm going to I'm going to just empty myself because you understand at the moment you, you imagine at the moment of that birth that he was born for one reason and one reason only. To die. For you and me. The creator would allow his creation to kill him. And not just any death, the worst kind of death. And see, a crucifixion, the Romans used that for the worst of the worst. They used it to make a serious point. It's the most humiliating, horrifying way to die. And yet he knew that looking down before before there was ever a stable, before there was ever angels or shepherds or wise men or anything. He looked down and said, this is what I'm coming. I'm going to step down as a king and I'm going to pour myself out. And the beautiful thing is, man, he satisfied the judgment. It was good enough. You and I could never be good enough. You and I could never, never right our wrongs. But what he did was good enough because later on it goes on. He humbled himself, but he come obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But listen, verse nine. 
<coughs> for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That after he died, that he rose again. And then God placed him back into that throne ship. God placed him back and said, you now rule. You've done everything you did. You have satisfied all the judgment. You have satisfied everything that needs to be taken. The law couldn't do it. The sacrifice at the temple couldn't do it. You've done it. That's when he pours himself out. And then, then the very best part of it, and Stu alluded to this. And I love that you said that about that song because I think Advent isn't just about looking at Christmas. It's about us expecting that he came and expecting that he's going to come again. Because the king has promised that he will return. And this time it's not as a baby. This time it's not in a stall. In some backwoods town. This time there will be no doubt who he is. Listen, I tell my friends all the time, I said, you can sit there. I have friends like, I'm an atheist. I'm like, congratulations. <laughs> I don't believe in you, so you don't exist. <laughs> They're like, that doesn't make sense. I said, well, you say that about God, so I guess it works for you. <laughs> I said, but I can tell you one thing. There will be a day when there will be no atheist. There will be a day, whether you want to or not, where every knee will bow. In fact, that's what it says. So that in verse 10, so at the name at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Think about that. Every person, every being, every demon, every everything will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That's what Christmas is about. That's why we celebrate. That's why we get excited and and we look forward to the day when it's not just singing songs to each other, but when we join the angels and sing glory, glory, glory. The king is here. That's what Christmas is about. I don't think the shepherds fully realized that. I don't think the wise men fully realized that. I don't think many of us fully realized that. If we did, we would celebrate this all year round. We would live like it all year round. I, I love this um john macarthur one of my favorite kind of theologians modern day theologian says this he said if we could content condense all the truths of christmas in only three words these would be the words god with us we tend to focus our attention at christmas on the infancy of christ the greater truth of the holiday is his deity more astonishing than a baby in a manger is the truth that this promised baby is the omnipotent creator of the heavens and the earth god with us do you understand that Christmas actually begins the Easter season that we begin preparing and setting our sights towards a cross and an empty tomb because of Christmas that's what this means that's why we remember and that's why we look forward to it
And I, I don't, I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know all the plans and all the craziness. I know what my the rest of my week looks like. I don't know what your week looks like, but my prayer for you is that you would just experience the fullness of his hope and his love and his joy and his peace. And remember what he left for us. That there is nothing you've ever faced, nothing you ever can deal with that he didn't have to deal with. That because of Christmas, God understood what it meant to be cold and hungry. God understood what it meant to be lonely. God understood what it meant to even die. That's Christmas. And that's why we celebrate. And when we get that, it should change us. Because there's a world out there waiting to see someone that actually knows what all this is all about and live like it. The king has come and he's coming again. Joy to the world. Let's pray.